servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Please be seated. Let me encourage you to grab your Bible and turn that to Ephesians chapter number 2. And we'll make our way that way momentarily. One of our friends on social media who has been a member of the church and, and reared in a family of the church all of their lives had a child that they had uh, videotaped singing the last song we were singing, Victory in Jesus and I guess it was probably about a month ago. And he was a little boy, and he would be singing that song as loud as he could, you know. And you, you get the smile on your face when you see that. And then he made it to the last line where he said, and he punched me to victory. And I thought, wow. <laughs> he did not know the word plunge, but he knew the word punch. So he punched him to victory. So uh, every time I sing that song, I think about that little boy. Let me invite you for a moment to think of the year that was and still is, 2020. Oh my goodness. What possibly could be next? What could come down the pike for us that, that could only be worse than what we have? I think it might be Godzilla. That may be the next thing that, that we would suffer as a, as a uh, humanity about what's going on. Let's look at our, our... All right. By the way, if you have a remote like this, if you'll turn that thing on, when you press those buttons, they work. Look at 2020 in a nutshell. How many of you are tired of masks? How many wish we could go back to 2019? I, I, you never knew how much your breath stank until you put a mask on. <laughs> Masks are terrible. They, fo they fog up anybody else's glasses. Okay, I thought it was just mine. And you have a virus. In 2020, you have a virus that is taking the world by surge, and, and we don't really know that much about it. Now, we know what viruses do and how they do, but this particular virus we don't know that much about, although we're learning every day, and we have a phrase, a phrase which I hate has been introduced into our society, and that phrase is the new normal. I hate the new normal. I like the old normal. Can we go back to the old normal? You know, with masks and viruses and new normals and all those type things, you can contract that virus. You can end up in a hospital room, much like the one that's on the, uh, on the slide here. And in some cases, and in the case of our congregation, probably our nation, we've been to the graveyard more than we want to admit. 
But 2020 is not only full of viruses that could or could not devastate the world. What about an election that still is yet to be certified? Who's going to lead this? You know what? I'm voting for Michael. You should be the president. That's why when we began this particular study, we started with 1 Timothy or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. There are, there are four pithy statements found in there. And the last one is honor, uh, from the uh, uh, English Standard Version, honor the emperor. And there's a reason why we went there. And we'll, we'll conclude all of that together here in just a moment. Will the election ever be certified? Will it ever be true? If there is voter fraud, will we ever have a real election ever again? Is our, is our country and our world changing so quickly that we can't keep up with it? What about all the riots that has been happening this year? What about all the news that we found out to be not real news but fake news or even the fake news we found out to be real news sometime down the road? That's a big statement. Will we ever get back to what we think of as, as normal? Will, it e- will we ever stop wearing this and stop doing that and do this other thing? Let's define normal. Normal is the typical, the usual, the average state or condition. Well, over the past eight or nine months, we have changed our normal to find out what the new typical, the new usual, the new average state or condition is. And, and like I said, we don't want that. I was real happy with the normal that it was. Why can't we go back to that? It's also the expected outcome of any situation. Well, if you can predict the expected outcome of any situation this year, best of luck to you. Will it ever go back? As you and I open our Bibles, and as God speaks to us through His Word... He talks to us about those things in Ephesians chapter 2. Grab your Bible, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, and see what we can glean from that. Wherefore, remember that when ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called circumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you're someone uh, you, who sometimes were afar off were made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made us, made us both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, For to make of himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore... Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit." 
as you and I look at this particular section of Scripture, we want to answer the question, what happens if it doesn't go back? What happens if normal never comes back around? Let's start right here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13, or 11 through 13. You and I need to realize that we have a citizenship that's finalized. If, if someone were to ask you right now, uh, where are you a citizen? Or what country are you a citizen of? What would you say? I would readily step forward and say of the United States. I would say that uh, very quickly and uh, probably very uh, proudly of that fact that I have lived here all of my life. And I am grateful for that. But when you look at it from a biblical perspective, are you a citizen of the United States or are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? And you say, well, I'm both. Well, you can't be both. You're going to have to pick. Well, which one would you like? And see, when we say that idea, we don't like that because we have grown up in the United States where we have freedoms and we have rights. But when we live underneath the citizenship of God, we become servants. We find ourselves being subject unto Him. When we look at our citizenship finalized, we see that at one point in, in verse number 12, we were separated from God. We were, we were pulled away from Him because of our own lust and our own desires, but now we've been drawn back together with Him through the blood of Jesus the Christ. We were at one point aliens from the commonwealth. Aliens from the commonwealth. Understand that phrase. We use that phrase a lot, uh, and we've heard it a lot through our media of the words illegal alien. That's what you would be. Those who have not been uh, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through his plans would be, in effect, to God's kingdom, alien. But for those who have, they've been welcomed in as his very children. So when we're drawn near to God through the blood of Jesus the Christ, my citizenship is finalized. I am a citizen of the kingdom no matter where I lay my head. Do you remember the song? This world is not my home, just a passing through. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. When I put that into perspective of the year that was and still is, 2020, who cares if normal ever comes back? You know, without the gift of Jesus Christ and His blood that we are lost because of our own doing, you know, that we are without hope. Did you know, under, please understand the phrase without hope. You don't have any opportunity to be saved. You're lost to the point of being lost. What? Oh, yeah, you're lost so far that you have no opportunity to be saved. You don't have any hope. You walk through this life saying everything's great, knowing that eternity is coming, and you're going to face a fiery judgment of hell without the blood of Jesus the Christ. But, and all glory be to God for this, but with that blood that washes over mankind through the act of baptism and the completion of God's plan of salvation. We have something that the world desperately wants. 
And what we have is hope. And when you have hope, you've got something. You can make it through difficult years and difficult time periods in our lives because we have hope. Why? Because I'm not going to just stay here. Because I'm not a citizen here. My citizenship has been finalized with God and His kingdom. Notice verses 14 through 18. My flesh has been corrected. We took a quick poll this morning in, in uh, the first service because it was not uh, broadcast over uh, the internet, so we won't do that as much today. Uh, ask yourselves this, what keeps your attention? If you are like me, your answer is, hey, nothing, look at that. Nothing keeps my attention. It's very rare and it's very hard to keep my attention. What holds your attention? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it entertainment? What is it? Without my attention fully being on God and His Word, how will I ever correct my flesh through His plan? And let me, let me join in with, with Michael and his uh, commercial this morning. Uh, if, if you're not partaking and being a part of the Bible study challenge that has been initiated here. They'll run through about the end of January, the first part of February. If you're not doing that, you are selling yourself short. 500, 500 different facts and or uh, ideas there in the Bible that we may know, we may not, can be learned over the next few weeks if you and I will buckle down and put our attention to it. Would you rather that the Word of God hold your attention or something else? See, in verse number 16, when you and I read that we can be reconciled back to God, that is to restore a proper relationship fully. It's the relationship that's seen in Genesis chapter number 3. You know, Jesus, would, or God rather, would walk through the garden there in the, in the cool of the day. And they were used to that. You say, how were they used to that, preacher? How do you know that? Because that one day they hid themselves. They knew what was about to happen. Look, if you will, in, in Genesis chapter 3. You tell me what, what severed that relationship. And you say, it was, it was a fruit. It was not a fruit. No matter what the fruit was, it wasn't the fruit's fault. They severed that relationship when they took God off of that throne and put their own desires onto it. God no longer held their attention. And from that point in time, they needed their flesh to be corrected. From that point in time in which you and I understand right from wrong, when we find ourselves accountable to God's law, we need our flesh corrected. Why? Because I like doing what I like doing. How about you? Now, just because I like doing it doesn't make it right. That gospel of peace was to be preached to those who are afar off and those who are nigh. Did you know that both Jew and Gentile can be reconciled to God? That's good news for you and me. As I look around our assembly today, I don't see too many Jews. That's good news for you and me, that we can be reconciled back to God, to a relationship that is exactly the way God wanted it in the beginning, that He can be our God and that we can be His children. When we have corrected flesh, 
verse 18, we have access to the Father through the Spirit and through the very blood of Jesus the Christ. This corrected flesh is something that you and I are going to have to have in order to be faithful to God, but it's the second point. We, you and I shouldn't be afraid of it. Everything that God has ever done for us, He has done only for us. He has never had anything that He would do for us that's going to uh, push Him further. It's only to pull us along. Notice verse number 19 through 22. If you have that, uh, that corrected flesh, and if you have that citizenship that's been finalized, you know that you are correct in your framing. The last couple of verses there, correct in your framing through Jesus the Christ. What is it in your life that you're framed by? Is it by society that's around you? If I conform this way, then I'll look like everybody else. I'll be like everybody else, and, and I won't stick out. My favorite statement that was made by 90s children, 80s and 90s children, uh, that I made also in the 80s and 90s, is I want to be different and I looked like and walked like and wore the same clothes and the same haircut as everybody else. I looked like a cookie cutter. What is it that frames your life? Is it society so you can be cookie cutter just like them? Is it what you could kind of get away with and push that envelope just as far as you can? See, according to Ephesians chapter 2, 19, 20, 21, and 22, the things that frame our life or the one that frames our life should be Jesus the Christ. As a matter of fact, it speaks of being fitly framed or, or built together properly, built by a code, but which one? You see, I could build you something, but I'm going ahead and letting you know right now, one, it would not be up to code because I don't have a clue what that is. Two, it would not be safe, because I don't have a clue what that is either. I can do a lot of things, but I can't build. I can tote stuff. I can, I can be uh, on the job site with you. I can talk to you and help you pass time, but I can't build much of anything. Our lives are going to have to be built by something. We have to decide what, what my code is versus what the real code found in the Bible is. If I can take my life and put it up against the Word of God and find out there's a big gap, then we have big problems, don't we? I have to be able to put my life up against that code of God's that's found within His Word, and that there be no gaps, but that they be fitly joined together. As a matter of fact, in verse number 20 and 21, it'll talk about that one that's fitly framed together, and that it grows to be a house. Imagine, if you can... Uh, planting five or six trees together, and, and as those limbs begin to, begin to grow, you begin to manipulate and turn that, that tree whichever way you want it to until, it until it grows together. And you have a framework even for a house. This is the idea God is saying, I want you to not only have it cut almost perfectly. He said, no, I want it almost perfectly. Then I want it to grow together and become one. And when you have that, then you have yourself correct in framing. Then you have yourself 
uh, one that is following after God's plan and that plan that was made for not only me and not only you, but that plan that was made for all of mankind. Now, as we look at correcting our framing, as we look at our citizenship, and as we looked at our flesh, let me ask you this question. What happens if normal never returns? What if, unfortunately, the phrase, the new normal, sticks around? Is it going to change what, how you speak? How you talk to each other? How you talk about each other? How you, how you have dealings with one another? Is it, going to, is it going to affect how you act? How you worship? Is it going to affect how you love? Will it affect how you shine in a dark world for Christ? How is this new normal going to affect you? Is it going to affect those things? Let me encourage you to say, no, it's not going to affect any of those things. And let me encourage you by three people, Daniel, Esther, and Ruth. Number one, Daniel. He was a member of the royal family of Israel. Most likely his mom and dad died in the takeover of Israel. And he is carted off at age 15 to Babylon, a, a heathenistic world where he lives for nearly 65 or 70 years and he dies in Babylon as a child of God, being quite possibly he and three others, the only light seen in Babylon. Tell me how it changed him. His normal changed completely. Everything he knew, everything he thought, everything he was accustomed to, left, or rather he left it. Now he's in an entirely different world in a different set of rules, right? No different set of rules. He's still under the rules of God, isn't he? Look at Esther. She finds herself in the next empire of the Medes and the Persians after the, after the change uh, of guard from the uh, Babylonian empire. And she finds herself as a Jew marrying the king. Who was not a great fellow. I don't know if you know this or not. Xerxes is not a great guy. He was a rough fellow. And yet, did she not live properly before God, underneath God's rule? Did Daniel not live that way? And then you look at the, the, the woman that we'll look at in Jewish history named Ruth. You look at her and you think, Ruth's a good Jewish name, isn't it? No, Ruth's a good Moabitess name. She was a Gentile who married a Jew only to watch in one day her husband, brother-in-law, father-in-law die. And what happens to her? Her mother-in-law says, why don't, you, why don't you go back home to Moab where you can uh, be with your family, where you can kind of lick your wounds, where you can make sense of all this? And she said, I'm not leaving you. And her normal changed like this and never went back. Matter of fact, at the end of, of Ruth, her normal changes again. She meets a man by the name of Boaz. What do Daniel and Esther and Ruth have to do with me? Everything. Everything. 
the way I look at this world and the way this world acts around me changes constantly. But the rules for the Christian given by God never change. It doesn't matter where I live geographically in this world, I can still be a Christian. Take for a moment the, the change that would happen in the Roman Empire. And let's look at it from a Jewish perspective and from the, uh, from the, the city of Jerusalem. When that emperor dies and the new emperor takes the throne, there is upheaval in the nation. See all this money you have in your pocket that you could jingle around? It's worthless. So now it doesn't have the right picture on it. You know, Jonathan was emperor, and I don't like his face anymore. So as the new emperor, I'm getting rid of all of Jonathan's money, and I'm going to put my money out there so the money you have in your hand is worthless. Are we going to exchange that? Nope. Best of luck to you and yours. There's upheaval. What do we do? How do we do this? How are we supposed to change? We're not supposed to change. Good times, bad times, uncertain times, hard times, easy times. I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm supposed to be following after God. While everything around me is changing, while everything around me is blowing up seemingly, I'm supposed to be a Christian. My calling and election, sure. I saw a post the other day, and I, I liked it, and I want you to start today, if you haven't been, living your life this way. When the storms of life are active, uh, when it's calm outside, God is. When, when all the storms are raging against your house that you live in, God is. When everything's going the way you want it to, God is. When your house and your family are falling apart, God is. When, when your, fa your house and your family are being blessed beyond measure, God still is. Whoever is the president, God is. Whoever's not the president, God is. If coronavirus sticks around or never or goes away tomorrow, God still is. Masks, if they're here, if they're not, God still is. It is the fact that you and I need to understand that the potency of God doesn't change with the things that are around us. That our dedication is to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. And it might be the fact that you would say, I don't know about that, but I surely would like that. That would let me know that you haven't obeyed God in the first place, which is real easy to do. Simply hearing is not enough. Neither is believing, repenting, confessing, or baptism by themselves. It's not enough. But when you put those things together, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized, you have God's plan of salvation in order to redeem man back to God, in order to reconcile that relationship. come up out of that watery grave of baptism as his child. 
And you never lose that. You don't ever lose being his child. But what you need to ask yourself then is, am I a faithful child of God's? See, there are two categories of children of God, those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful. And let me urge you, you don't want to be a part of those who are unfaithful. You want to put on that robe of righteousness through the blood of Jesus the Christ, and you want to walk that faithful path. You know what you want? You want on that final day to stand before God looking in Him face to face. Have Him smile at you and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Are you a child of His? Are you a faithful child of His? If not, we're going to sing this song for your encouragement right now. Kneel at the cross,